today on Building the Open Metaverse. And the metaverse, by the way, is only whatever we think about the word, right? It's only creating uh, more appetite for creators and companies alike to like have more content. And when you think about it also, like I was uh, I was thinking about it the other day, but I'm not, maybe I'm late to the game, but I was realizing, well, actually there is no limit in there. I mean, there is a limited space on earth. So there is a limited amount of things that we can do with land, with I don't know, number of shoes or number of objects we can sell and manufacture. And by the way, we should be very careful about what we do with the land and uh, what we build and what, uh, how we exploit the, the earth and all. But, uh, but when in the virtual space, of course, it's, it's using energy as a, as a trade-off. But when it comes to the space itself, uh, if it's, it's virtual infinite. Welcome to Building the Open Metaverse, where technology experts discuss how the community is building the open metaverse together. Hosted by Patrick Cozy from Cesium and Mark Petit from Epic Games. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our show, Building the Open Metaverse, the podcast where technologists share their insight on how the community is building the metaverse together. My name is Mark Petit from Epic Games, and my co-host is Patrick Cozy from Cesium. Patrick, how are you? Hi, Mark. Doing fantastic. Looking forward to today's topic. Yeah, today we have another very special guest. Uh, you know, he founded his company straight out of school more than 20 years ago and has had a deep impact on the computer graphics industry. And he now holds a position that will allow him to make even more of an impact on that industry as he's leading 3D development at Adobe. So it's my pleasure to welcome Sébastien Deguy, founder of Algorithmic and VP for 3D and Immersive at Adobe. Welcome, Sébastien. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, uh, Patrick, to, uh, to have me uh, today. I'm very, uh, very happy to be here. Yeah, I know. We're super happy to, to have you with us. So, Sebastian, you're both a scientist and an entrepreneur and a musician and a bunch of other things. We won't, we won't talk about it here. But, you know, in your own words, please tell us your journey to the, to the metaverse and how you, you got where you are today. I think it's fascinating for people. Okay. Well, so uh, it's, a, it's a long journey, as you say. Like, I, I, I completed my PhD more than 20 years ago. Actually, last December was the 20, 20th anniversary of uh, uh, my PhD. It's been a long, a long time in long time coming, I would say. But yeah, so uh, as, you, as you say, I created Algorithmic just after I completed my PhD. And just before I, completed, I, I, I actually started my PhD, I was very passionate about computer graphics, video games, uh, movies, a lot of things like everything images really and i remember like in, the, in my in my room back in france and uh, you've been there as well but basically trying to catch every um, piece of information about this 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 space and uh, computers and and at the time it was very complicated because i was living on the countryside so i would i would need to actually asked my mother to, to bring me to a, a kiosk and buy uh, magazines about about computer science or, or mostly games, actually, I have, to, I have to admit. But basically, yeah, it started there. I started like developing a, a very strong passion for it. I even developed a, uh, a very small pro program that takes uh, two input videos and turned that into an anaglyph, you know, the, the ones that you wear like a cyan and a red uh, glass and you see in, in relief. So it, I started trying to apply what I knew about computers and computer graphics and computer science uh, into how to make movies, how to make visual effects and, 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 and have fun with it. So it started there and then <clears throat> I studied uh, math and applied math and I did a PhD in uh, applied math uh, and, and computer, computer science 
uh, in this field of uh, random random processes. And uh, one cool application of the mathematical model I was working on at the time uh, was for it was used for simulating complex phenomena like clouds. But one thing you could also do is if you don't do cloud in volume, which also at the time uh, on, on computers of the time was complicated to, to generate because you needed a lot of computation power, you could generate 2D images of such clouds. And when looking at these 2D images, you would see what you call noises now in computer graphics. And I'd been asked to teach a program that was called Softimage 3D before Softimage XSI. Actually, you know that very well, Mark, but <laughs> Softimage 3D. I know a thing or two about it, yes. <laughs> yeah, a thing or two. Softimage 3D, basically, I was asked to teach that tool, and it was uh, late 90s. And so at the time, it was the best you can find out there, right? It was an amazing tool, and I had to, to learn it before I actually teached it. So I was one, one week ahead of my students. But basically, what I saw in the tool was you had these, these uh, like ateliers or, or steps in the process. You, you had the modeling, you had the animation, you had the rendering. And on the rendering side of things, you, you, you could apply textures and materials. And one thing, one way to achieve that was to use noise functions. And at the time, there was like the fractal noise, the whirly noise, the, the purling noise, and all the noises you, you, you know now. Um, and actually, I made the connection, the first connection I made with between, between my research and the world of computer graphics uh, was at that time, because I realized, okay, what I find in Softimage 3D and what I can do with my prototype, like trying to simulate clouds, actually, I could do the same and more. So I started thinking maybe, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute, I, it's, it's really a passion of mine, and maybe I could apply the research I'm doing for this specific field. So I started talking in the field of computer graphics about uh, the math behind it. And then the head of um, the R&D from uh, uh, Buff company, uh, Xavier Beck, contacted me and he said, he told me like, oh, how do you do that? Like, uh, come and come and, and, and tell us, tell us uh, a little bit about, uh, about what you do. And so this is where it uh, planted a, a bug in my ear basically of, okay, maybe there's an interest from the actual uh, world of the effects, which I was completely mad about, and the world of science I was having in, uh, I mean, my PhD in, right? So as soon as I, I completed my PhD, I, I started the project of building a company that would become algorithmic. At the time, I thought it would take like two years and two guys to just come up with something that was <laughs> maybe like guys power tools. I don't know if you remember that one, but uh, that was like just having fun and producing cool stuff. And it took 10 years and, 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 and more years, in fact, but 10 years before we actually got some success out of it. And a lot more people than two, a lot more uh, trouble as well. But uh, yeah, fast forward, then we started the company in 2003 officially um, and completed my PhD in 2001. Started the company a year and a half later. And, and then we, we grew with um, what became uh, uh, well, algorithmic at the time we, we, we joined Adobe in 2019. We were uh, 140 people when we joined, and in the meantime, we created the tools that are known as Substance, and especially as Substance Designer, Substance Painter, and then Substance Sampler and, and more, and the Substance Source uh, library of uh, materials. And so we, we focused on really applying, first applying the math that was developed, like the, the noise functions, and then like expanding to everything, materials and, and textures. And uh, Substance Designer started to have success in 2011, in fact, 2012, even. So it took really 
10 years, yeah, to, to get to a point where it started to, to, <laughs> to have an impact, mostly in games at first, not VFX, to my dismay, but um, but then came came back to the VFX world, and now all the substance tools are used by like 90, like last time we did the count, it was 97% of uh, AAA game developers, and most, for the past five years, I think, like all the VFX um, Oscars winners, use uh, substance in some form like some sometimes short like things here and there but then a lot more with dune and uh or blade runner and then this type of this type of movies anyway so sorry it was a long answer but and then in 2019 we joined we joined adobe right and where we started this new division called uh, 3d immersive all right i don't know maybe too long <laughs> no i mean i i can attest that when I was at Autodesk, you were coming like every year or every six months, actually, dropping by Montreal and showing us and what you were going and uh, the progress was there. And I think uh, the thing I remember that was very specific about what you and Algorithmic is the kind of support you got from the team. I mean, everybody, even if there was not a lot at the beginning, there was always a lot of beliefs that you guys were onto something big and we did the flame deal, if you remember, and all of those things. Um, it's been, I, I think what people need to realize is how much resilience you need to have. You know, it's again, an overnight success, 10 years in the making, something like this. And, and I, Sebastian, I remember that you've been so, so resilient. You've been there so humble every time coming back every six months showing progress. And, and I think that built the credibility and the trust in people that I think, you, and they, they are willing to stand up for you when you, when you need them to stand up. So. Exactly. It's, it's very good to hear because, you know, by, by the way, I, I started writing a, just like you know, some kind of a book for Allegorithmic, like, just for me to, 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 part of the reason why I went into random processes at the very beginning is that I had an accident and lost some part of my memory. And so I, I got very interested in like this idea of uh, memory and uh, uh, random randomness and how we are we predictable because I remember going through a phase where I would go through the exact same cycle of questions after the accident, go through the exact same cycle of questions and ended up with the same joke because I was in the same environment. So every every three minutes, my father would tell me like I was waiting for the uh, MRI and I would like, where am I? What happened? And then a joke, something like that. And then three minutes later, where am I? What happened? And then the same joke. So I, I realized Okay, are we predictable somehow? So I started like asking myself the question: Does randomness do exist really? And my PhD advisor at, at the time told me like, "Welcome, finally, or you're among, you're one of us, right? Asking the right question: Is it, does it exist?" And so I studied it anyway. So I started writing this because I have. Uh, well, I like to think I like, uh, it's a good excuse for me to say, "Well, I had an accident, so I have memory issues now." But like anyway, so I'm writing this thing, and I wrote I. I found a very old photograph. It's funny you mentioned this, Mark, because a very old photograph. Whereas there is um, the Autodesk, I think it was a discrete booth even at the time. And I'm sitting on the on the edge of the photo. You see some guy like lying on the ground, sitting there with a, a, a huge laptop. That was me. And I remember, okay, I must have been waiting for for you to to talk to me or be able to have a chance to talk to you and show you the show you the stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, to your point, it, it takes a lot of time, and it took a lot of time for us. I, I'm not saying that it's, it's a general rule, but it took a lot of time. It took a lot of resilience. Um, that's that's very true too. And I, I think it's, uh, if there is one thing, it's 
is this one and this of course you need luck of course you need to be good at what you're doing but at some point you need to um to work and, and be resilient and so it's uh it's the big one so patrick let's geek out now for sure. So Seb, first, yeah, I mean, congrats on on all your accomplishments in both research and in business. Uh, these are great lessons learned. Thank you for sharing them with the community. But let's jump into substance. I mean, can you tell us more about what the end users do with it, how it incorporates your research, you know, what problems it solves? Right. So <clears throat> substance today, I mean, like for, for the texturing project uh, products, and now we have more products, but the texturing products, um, allow for people to create what, what we call textures or, mater or digital materials, which is when you model a, a 3D scene, a 3D environment, you, you go with like the shape first. Like you, you, what we see like these empty, naked shapes in 3D floating in a, a 3D space. But then when you want to, to give it the aspect of wood, you want to give it the aspect of skin or fabric or any material that there is in real life, when you want to have something realistic or not but like that looks like it's a, it's a wood or an expression thereof you need what we call textures which are images that you apply onto and you wrap onto your 3d object and these images describe how the light will interact with that surface and giving you your eye and your brain the impression of okay this is this is wood because i recognize the colors i recognize the patterns i recognize the way it's the, the, the specularity or how it's uh, how reflected if it is or, re, or transparent it is, etc. Et so we have a few tools dedicated to this specific area, which is a very narrow and niche area, but, but it's necessary in every 3D uh, world and representation or, or, or experience. And so, <clears throat> so Substance Designer is a very technical tool that lets you do that with node-based approach, a procedural approach that has its advantages. And then Substance Painter is some kind of a Photoshop in 3D where you have a layer stack. And instead of painting with color on a 2D canvas, you paint with materials on a 3D object. And so you extend somehow the, the, the idea of a, the artistic gesture and the Photoshop like workflow in 3D. And so artists have been like a Loving the tool for that reason because it's, uh, I mean, it's not the first one to, to be able to do that, but I was one of the first one, if not the first one, to actually be a, a truly completely GPU powered, full 3D, full material painting application. So you would paint the whole, all the, 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 the layers, uh, all the, the, the information textures at the same time in one stroke, right? And so it was non destructive, etc., etc. And then you have Substance Sampler that lets you, from an input, among other things, it can, it can let you do many things, but one thing can allow you is, and it's very strong about, is uh, like take one picture of a material that you like in the street and turn that into a full material in a very simple way. Um, so this, this is for the, for the materials part. And uh, so that's, that's historically what Substance has been about. Right. And now we have more products. Yeah, and it's interesting because it completely blurs the limit between surface geometry and, and shading. I mean, you can add stitches, you can add a level of details to your object uh, and simplify the process of, uh, of uh, you know, creating the shape. So it's been fascinating to see, you know, the sophistication of that technology. Actually, it's, you've been for 20 years at it. Is there still a lot of innovation to be done in that space? Are you running out of problems to solve or...? <laughs> Well, I think I think uh, we, we'll never run out of problems to solve uh, either in that field or, or others. 
but um, yeah, I mean, like it's 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 a fairly uh, mature. Uh, actually, actually, it's, it's interesting because the three D space as a whole is not that mature, and so there is still a lot of innovation to be to be developed, which is which is interesting. Also, it's a, it's a bit of a curse because that means that it's we're a little bit far still from total democratization because you still need a good GPU, you still need a good hardware, you still need a good input, you still need uh, interactivity. And so there are ways to reach this via new ways, but uh, um, it's it's still very demanding. It's a demanding space and uh, it's, a, it's a complex space as well because there is one more dimension. It's in, involving way more complexity between in, in terms of interactions and and, and, and filters and all the mathematical functions you can apply in this space anyway. But the, the yeah, I mean, when it comes to texturing, there, there are still many things to, to work on. Um, and standardization is one, uh, how to make sure that uh, we have more complex and more complete ways of describing some surfaces that we're bad at describing right now. We've been doing a lot of progresses in the past years, especially thanks to the, um, the physically based physically based rendering uh, techniques and, and, and the mechanism that, uh, and schemas that have been uh, developed. But yeah, there is still a lot to be done. And now, of course, it's converging a little bit, right? And so uh, it's, it's less of a complete blue ocean open to uh, total reinvention, uh, but uh, still a lot of uh, fun to have, I would say. So, Seb, given how widely used substance is, I mean, it feels like it's really the de facto standard, right, for describing these materials and textures. Have you thought about open sourcing parts of it? So, yes, we 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 always have the discussion and what, how the, the the framework we have in mind is always the same. Like, how can we help the ecosystem, right? And so, I, I think we're on the same page in, in that in that sense. So how do we help the ecosystem? Of course, we're a business. So how do we help the ecosystem in, in, in which every actor has to find its its way and, and including us, right? So it's, 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 a, it's an ecosystem in a sense that it, it has to benefit everybody. And so we, we always try to find, okay, well, are there any ways to make sure that, for instance, the, the, the substance format itself could be used more widely? Um, and lately, I don't know if you've seen, but we, we um, we made available the SDK um, for the um, the Substance uh, Engine. So now you can anyone can just like go to uh, um, Adobe.io. I think it's uh, it's the address, and you can download the SDK and you have all the documentation. And you can write your own plugin to to, to, to plug your your own application with um, uh, connect your own application with the Substance Engine so that you can then generate the, the texture. So it's a start. It's the first step. We, we very much like the, the open source community for various reasons, um, and uh, we support it. We, we actually provide a lot of uh, uh, support to, to a lot of uh, open source initiatives. Um, we don't talk about all of them, but like we, we, do, we do support all the ones that we use for like an obvious reason. And then we try to support more, like, uh, and lately we've been supporting Blender, which is a, a good example as well. And we, we have also uh, helped like develop this, uh, this, uh, this, this bridge between the Blender and the Substance applications, because a lot of uh, actually our users are using Blender as well. And so uh, the format itself, we've been looking into it and we really, it's always on the table. We, 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 we keep like uh, turning around, like uh, deciding or not deciding. Lately, what happened with Material X, USD, 
um, uh, and, and other formats, but USD and Material X especially is of high, the highest interest to us because maybe maybe finally we're onto something that any company could use and we could exchange things and the reality of things, back to what I was saying before, we're still in an early age, I feel, of, of the metaverse and 3D and, and experiences. I feel like uh, there's still so much to be to be done and you as a user what we see is that they, 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 they usually studios mix a lot of tools coming from different lot of companies so if we just want just being realistic and uh, honest with our uh, user and clients we have to take into account the fact that they won't stay in Adobe only products and they won't stay into I don't know uh, any other company only products usually there are it flows, right? So it has to flow. And so finally, maybe with USD and Material X, we're onto something that could be leading to a place where, yeah, I mean, like all these materials, all these models, or potentially all these experiences could flow. So do you think you could, in the current state of Material X, you could transport all of the sophistication of the substance content? Not everything right now, but uh, we're, we, make we, we try to make sure to, that uh, it's uh, easily feasible if you have uh, some kind of a substance extension to the material X somehow but yeah I mean like the discussions are ongoing about like do, should we want to make that more uh, by a default thing and if so do we need to open source it do we need to open it so these discussions are ongoing but yeah definitely it's uh, we see we see the interest we, we don't want to to fall into traps also for legal reasons it's, it's a complicated thing but um, uh, definitely uh, on the table yeah that's great to hear I mean because SBS SBSR file are kind of a you know, right now, the de facto standard. So. so, Seb, in general, I love your perspective on ecosystems and trying to rise the tide for all ships and kind of connect all the parts there. So, so great work. And I think it's one thing we, we like to underline in this podcast is how people like to work together in our industry because it's a given for us because we've grown, you know, we want to see graph and we, we, we know that we like to work together. And even though we work in competing companies, we made all the same wood. I mean, we're part of the same community. But it's not true of every industry, by the way. And I think it's something we need to celebrate of our industry and carry into the metaverse is that appetite for collaboration. We can compete and collaborate and, you know, make the best, make the, make the best men win. But I won't name industries, but we all know <laughs> other, other industries where uh, data hoarding and there is no spirit of openness and collaboration, actually. But it will change. I agree. I agree. I agree. This, we, I agree with you. We should celebrate this because, to your point, like we're, we're the same, of the same. We've all been passionate and like uh, fascinated by the first movies, right? When I saw Tron, when the first time, when I saw uh, I don't know Jurassic Park or Terminator, we always like we're, 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 we all were in awe with what we saw. And same goes for the for the, for the, for the computer graphic and and, visual, and sorry, computer games and video games. I mean, it's um, of course we do compete, yes, but also we have we have the the, the luxury of having this expand, fast expanding space. So I think there is space for everybody. So if, if we're smart, there, there is space for a lot of people and a lot of companies and a lot of uh, ways to, to address that, that demand of um, creators willing to adopt that space, right? And so, and, and, and enter that space. So it's, it's, and the metaverse, by the way, is only whatever we think about the world, right? It's only creating uh, more appetite for creators and companies alike to like have more content. And when you think about it, also like 
I was uh, I was thinking about that the other day, but I'm not, maybe I'm late to the game. But I was realizing, well, actually, there is no limit, and there I mean, there is a limited space on Earth. <laughs> so there is a limited amount of things that we can do with land, with I don't know, number of shoes or number of objects we can sell and manufacture. And by the way, we should be very careful about what we do with the land and uh, what we build and what uh, how we exploit the, the Earth and all. But uh, but when in the virtual space, of course, it's it's using energy as a as a trade-off but when it comes to the space itself uh, if it's it's virtual infinite so there is an opportunity we've never a scale uh, for for this opportunity opportunity that the human being has never encountered before <laughs> when you think about it so it's really it gives me a vertigo sometimes yeah no it's fascinating and it'll create many orders of magnitude of opportunities so as you said you know it's going to be a boon for uh, for all of us at all of our companies. So, so let's switch gear a little bit and talk about your company. Uh, so, Adobe is a relative newcomer to 3D. You mentioned, you know, it really started with the acquisition of algorithmic in 2019, but they seem to be now moving by leaps and bounds under your leadership. So, what's what are your goals for for the division that you created, and what role does Adobe want to play in the metaverse? So yeah, I mean, Adobe has always been interested in 3D. Uh, there has been a lot. There has been a lot of uh, initiatives actually along the years, like for quite some time. Um, but it was always um, limited by, I would say, the the internal appetite for that space, which was seen as uh, very technical, maybe too narrow, too too nascent for a company like Adobe. Um, but the way it's seen now, and has changed in the last uh, in the last year or so, or two and a half. Years, I mean, three years because, like, with the acquisition, yes, actually, it was the first. I mean, it wasn't the first one, but it was a significant move towards. Yes, we want to we want to build something, and because at the same time my company was acquired, this new division, 3D Immersive, was created, and I had the chance to lead that. And it, basically, in that division, we gathered all like initiatives. Almost, almost all, yeah. And then we could we could hire more people. We could acquire a company from Oculus called Medium, a small small tool that is becoming a modeler, and we could grow from there. And that like we working on integrating, and then we release something. So it has changed very quickly in the last year because a few things happened. One is we released the first offering that Adobe has done in the world of three, which is called Adobe Substance 3D. So we released something which is already something special. It's a, it takes it takes so much work to release something in big corporation like this and to integrate and connect and, and make it, make sure that uh, everybody's aware and like working. And when we sell, it's uh, actually bringing in money. And so and it's legal, etc. Right. So there's a lot of work involved there. Uh, and then we we actually it went well. So that means that uh, we constantly surpassed our objectives, which also is a good thing because that, that's showing traction in industry and it's showing that we didn't um, aim wrong. We aimed right, in fact, with our with our tools and pricing and, and way of communicating. And then also a lot of companies came to us and said, Adobe, we love you. We'd like to uh, we'd like to go 3D now. So what I hear you're doing something. Can you tell us more? And so when 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 Chantanou, uh, our CEO, hears about this, he, he's, I mean, it, it's great because he's seeing that there is there is some momentum again in the industry. And some of these big companies are setting the tone for the future, not only in, in entertainment, by the way, it's, it can be in, in product design and everything. 
And then the metaverse happened. And then the metaverse, I mean, not happened, but like the, 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 the craziness and the change of name of Facebook from, from Facebook to, to, to Meta. I mean, it, it, it put some, so much like uh, eyeballs on the subject. And then what happened is that the market, Wall Street and the analysts started to ask companies like Adobe, but not only ours, but what is, what is your play in the metaverse? <laughs> and so we needed to have something. So we were like in the back, waving our hands and saying, well, we're ready. We know what we should be doing. And we've been successful and we've seen the traction, et cetera. So anyway, now is a different, different, different time because Adobe sees that as, a, as the next big thing. And, and, and the same way Adobe has been uh, trying to support creatives and, and, and companies go, I mean, embrace this new digital printing uh, uh, revolution at the time with PostScript and then PDF and then digital imaging with Photoshop and, and, and more Illustrator and then video with Premiere and After Effects, etc. etc. This new space of 3D and the metaverse, call it the way you want is definitely a new space where the, where Adobe understands, okay, well, there will be a need to go there. Creatives want to embrace that space. We, as Adobe, our DNA is to, is to empower the, the creatives and the designers of the world who want to embrace that new space, right? So it's the only natural evolution for, for Adobe. It took time, but then because it took time, it became really something organic and very deep. And now it's very deep and very rooted. And I have the chance to, to be at the right space at the right time right now, right spot at the right time, because was supported. We, we announced an acquisition on Monday, uh, last a few days ago, and uh, it's hopefully only the beginning. I mean, it's, it's uh, we, <laughs> compared to Epic and, and, and other companies. Of, of course, we haven't announced that many acquisitions in the past, but it's it's happening. It's more organic. It's but it's, it's it's very rooted now. And so yeah, I mean, it's it's great to be to be in that position now because yeah, Adobe is very serious about it. Actually, we can talk about this and congrats on acquiring Brio VR as company uh, founded by Dave Cardwell, who was the founder of Mudbox. I know well, I, I bought his first company, Sky Matter, uh, when I was at Autodesk. Great, great gang of people. It's all web, uh, Patrick, it's all web-based technology. I mean, it's all web GPU renderings and uh, product visualization and VR. So what, what are you going to do with this, uh, Sebastian? So, so with this one, it's interesting because it's twofold. I mean, interest is uh, threefold. First, it's amazing talent, right? And so uh, th that Dave himself is a very interesting guy and uh, incredibly interesting, in fact. And, uh, and the whole team, like Koshik and, and Jacqueline, they, they've been building something very special and they're, and they're special. So we, we like to, we want it to grow. And so it's a great way to, to grow with talent very quickly. And, uh, and that level of the caliber of their, the people there is, is amazing. And so then it's twofold, like the interest, the, we've seen a lot of interest for 3D experiences and 3D configuration and, and in, in the world of commerce. And so we, we wanted to expand what we were doing on, on, on the web. We already have something, but we wanted to go a little bit, one step further basically, right? So, so that's the objective here is to, to make sure we have the technology stack and the talent so that we can come up with something that allows for uh, more web-based, uh, uh, workflows and, and, and that we can empower um, uh, leverage the, the web and potentially the cloud as well, which is something that we're not very um, good at right now. We have desktop applications um, and so we needed to expand our knowledge, uh, expand the team and, uh, and get more technologies and potentially products. So yeah, I mean the goal here is to again connect um, the, the world of create, to, to 3D creativity that is very deep and rich and uh, that can use our tools with 
um, more people and, and more um, use cases, in fact. And some of these use cases have to be web first. Let's put it this way. And so you've, you have a complete set of products now. You have, you have announced Modeler, you have announced Stager. So what's the vision and where, where do you think this is going? A, a, new, a new creative cloud? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's funny because when we, when we started discussing with Adobe a long time before, before acquisition even, like we, were, we were really liking this uh, ecosystem approach of theirs, right, and of ours now. And we, something we appreciated was the fact that it was, um, it was a, a galaxy of tools instead of a, a universal tool. And because it, it both had their advantages, right? But a, a universal tool, you can only stretch it so thin. At some point, it, it breaks. And if you, if you wanted to make it too many things, it becomes really complicated to, to manage like both vertical and horizontal at the same time. So it's, it's well, that's my, my view anyway, but there, there are counter examples that, that work very well. But if you want to go a little bit further than the, the current community of 3D creators, we feel you have to have potentially more specific, focused, smaller, dedicated tools that connect well with each other, again, and in an ecosystem approach, a galaxy of tools. And so, yeah, the creative cloud of 3D is, <laughs> yes, because we have many tools already. And you announced, you said it like we have a, a new modeling application, a sculpting modeling application in Modeler, which is going to be, I mean, it's, it's amazing already what the guys have been doing. It's a, we have people coming from the Medium team and uh, and uh, Dreams uh, also, and so and and with like with us around, we just like watch them and we basically give them food and water and we we just like adapt to what they come up with because it's it's really amazing. So that will be a good one. Uh, but it can do only so much. So if you want to have like potentially polygonal modeling, like uh, the good old ways and control to every uh, to every tri triangle, maybe it's not the best tool for that. So you still need something else. But then for some people, for some use cases, this might become the best tool. Sure. And for the rest, you have Blender. I assume that. And then for the rest, you have Blender exactly, or other tools. And but and then uh, so what we're missing still is animation. We have Mixamo, uh, but it's. Um, it hasn't been evolving a lot uh, in the past years, unfortunately, whereas uh, it's used by so many people. It's crazy, actually. It's one of the, the biggest uh, success in the 3D world. And so many people use it. Uh, it needs a little bit of a refresh when it comes to the technology and things. And so we're looking at it as well, and we're looking into uh, what to do with it. So yeah, now we have a stager then, which is like this uh, sta simple staging rendering application. Um, uh, what, you, what you guys have been starting doing with, um, um, how's it called, sorry. The um, your tool uh, visual tweet motion. Thank you. Yeah, so tweet motion. Same, same idea. Like how to simplify, how to streamline a staging step, like a, a PowerPoint for for three D somehow, where you can import very quickly, place very quickly, snap objects, and have physics and, and that kind of thing like together, so to to create an image very quickly, right? Or an experience for that matter. And so Stager is this one, and we developed a, um, a very fast path tracer that connects very well with all the the nice uh, material definitions that we have and uh, some of the, the, the latest uh, development that we did with um, research as well as Adobe Research uh, on the uh, interactive uh, uh, displacement, micro-displacement technique, which is absolutely amazing. Uh, also, uh, uh, one thing that we developed for hair and fur lately that we showcased, uh, I mean, we did a sneak peek last week 
So we, yeah, the idea here is to get to an image that is as realistic, as compelling as possible for of a scene or an object and a stager. But yeah, for animation, for character animation, we have nothing right right now. So, but the goal to, to answer your question, the goal eventually is to get to a point where you have as many options as possible in what we offer. I don't expect it to be any work complete in the next very years because it first takes time. And then again, back to the point I was making before, I think what we, we don't want to, uh, we want to allow people to go somewhere else and come back if they have to, or go somewhere else and then stay somewhere else. But at least at some point they use our tools and that's fine. So yeah, the goal is to, to have this complete offering end to end. And one th good thing about Adobe is the, the connection with the Creative Cloud, so the actual 2D products. So being able to connect very quickly with a Photoshop or Illustrator, which we do already with a tool like a Sampler, Substance Sampler, um, it's it's amazing that connection that can when that can happen because that's that's bringing a lot to the table. And then on the other side of the spectrum is the um, what everything Adobe is doing on the on the delivery side of thing with AEM and this type of tools with analytics. Uh, for, for companies, uh, like let's say a product company, <clears throat> willing to have feedback on their um, offers and their experiences that they, and the images or, or the 3D experiences that they have on the website for their products, they, it's, it's great if, if, it, if it's 2D or 3D, right? So it, it's, for them, it's actually better if it's 3D also, as well. So there is, there is, a, there is a connection to be, to be done here. So it's a lot of work. But uh, that's the good thing about a company like Adobe because of uh, Creative Cloud and the marketing cloud as well. So Seb, we appreciate everything you're doing to empower more and more creators. I mean, we, we agree with you that we want everyone to be a creator and we, we see that theme, you know, with the metaverse and across the podcast, uh, your approach of having kind of several products that are, that are focused and interoperable is, is interesting. I wanted to switch gears just a little. So earlier you explained how you're doing procedural textures in, you know, in a 3D context. And I wanted to ask, are you applying any procedural to the 3D modeling, to creating the actual surfaces, whether it's for the hair you just mentioned or maybe the displacements? Yes, so absolutely. Procedural techniques are at the heart of everything we've been doing. Um, and we, we, we love procedural approaches, right? So uh, a year ago, I think like maybe uh, nine months ago, yeah, we integrated uh, the um, in Substance Designer, the ability to export meshes, right? Procedural meshes as well. And so you, you, you can do that uh, to some degree in, in, in Substance Designer already today. And it's evolving, it's evolving fast. We also have um, internal research projects that are mind-blowing about uh, along this idea of uh, again parametric generation of content and and and, and models um modeler is also using a sdf approach right so it's it's very it's very mathematical although they, they they're turning the tool into something that is like artist first and so that it's the artists will forget about the fact that they're in 3d and they're in volume in fact and which is which is making a lot of sense when you, when you think about it. So they don't have to, to care about like actually the topology and the, the triangles, etc. But yeah, I mean, the procedural approach to us has many advantages. First, it's, um, it's one way to, um, to scale, right? So when you, when you have one template definition of one thing, you can generate billions. So that's, that's huge. Uh, when you can also have templates, you can have, uh, a, you can, 
hide the complexity of the, the thing by exposing only meta parameters um, that describe some uh, human language described characteristics of a material or a shape now. Let's say more, I don't know, uh, more ripples or less ripples or more knitting or uh, that kind of thing or more stains or that kind of thing. And so that's that's also interesting when you think about back to the point I was making earlier, like bringing access of 3D to more people. There is absolutely a need to have a, a few step process in between, like the, the people willing and capable of producing the templates, describing the very process of creation, the procedure, and then people using these procedures. Uh, and, and, and just tweaking a few parameters, but having an eye for what it should be and how it would fit into, into a scene. Also, one thing we don't talk about that much, which is very important to, to procedural texturing and procedural content generation in general, is the idea of uh, consistency. When you, when you generate, like for instance, uh, when, like, uh, on Star Wars, one of the Star Wars, the Star Wars, they were, uh, I think it was uh, uh, Basically, they were saying like they, they needed to, to generate like humongous numbers of uh, of uh, of uh, textures. So the scale is imp is important here. But like when you texture not only this type of material but this type of material, and this is done by different people, at least if you follow certain rules that are defined by sub patterns, some sub sub graphs, then you 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 can control very easily. At the end of the process, the consistency of them all, right? So, for instance, let's say I want a meta parameter that drives the, the amount of rust on these metals. Maybe if I have like 1,000 uh, models where uh, having 1,000 different materials, procedural materials, then I can have one slider that says like change the rust for all of them, the whole scene now. So it's meta meta, right? So it's very, it's very powerful that way. And so that's that's I mean. We see we we start seeing this actually happening. So that's very exciting. It's interesting, and the reason why we like to put proceduralism because we know it's going to play a big role moving forward. But from a standardization perspective, you know, it creates a problem because you know you have now have to standardize execution or so. So Guido, when he was with us a few weeks ago, uh, mentioned that you plan on building all, if not most, if not all of our products on top of the USD sync graph, and so it's I mean. Isn't that a bold move from a company like Adobe, uh, given uh, uh, where we are with USD right now? Yes, it's. It's. I agree with you. It's. It's a. This is. This is the objective, and it's so bold that we we might take it step by step. And so, not adopting the scene graph in the first place, but maybe just reading, reading in, reading out, right? And so, uh, at least maybe trans, um, converting into our own data model internally to do our thing, and then then exporting to USD and, and respecting the description model. So, to your point, like um, the execution side of things, this is where back to also by the way the, the question about SBSAR, same thing. If you want, if you want to control that, you have to have the engine everywhere. So the first step was to to open the SDK, and the SDK so the engine that ensures that the generation is the same everywhere can be available everywhere, right? So well, as many as many places as possible. So this is this is this is important because there, yeah, there are many things that we do in the, the engine that uh, would be a waste of time, I think, to just trying to replicate or just like use the, the engine itself. So yeah, it's <laughs> to your point. USD definitely we see that as a as a big 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 opportunity. And Guido being here is uh, is, uh, is important. Obviously, he's been driving this. Is, is 
and is the, the leader of that and one of the founding father of USD. So that's great to have him uh, driving this. Uh, but it will t it will come in uh, in steps. And uh, but yeah, uh, some of the the newest tools and some of the newest. Uh, uh, initiatives that we have, they really they really revolve a lot around around USDs. Yeah, and so and so one topic that comes around this podcast regularly is you know USD is open source library, but it's it's guided by a single entity, and you know basically you got a single entity who decides what makes it to the library and what does not. So uh, first one, you know, are you comfortable with that? And how would you like to see this evolve? We've heard a few a few different version of. Uh, of that desired evolution. I'm curious to have your take on this. I know it's a bit of an uncomfortable questions, but. It is, it is a bit because, not only because, uh, because of the, the very nature of the question, but also in my position, but also the fact that I, I'm not that opinionated about it actually. So I don't, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't really, I mean, I would be fine either way because sometimes I know for a fact that de facto standards can work as well. And I know it's uncomfortable for everyone in that case versus being uncomfortable to only a few uh, companies. But I mean, both can work. Um, I know we have like very good relationship with Pixar for uh, various reasons. Uh, and we work with other companies to make sure that, uh, I mean, to try to enforce um, one, one USD and, and that no, no strong evolution from, from and, and the departure from that very description and that very core idea. So we're working to, to make sure, we, we, we're talking all the time, right? We're talking and trying to make sure that there is a divergence. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, the short answer is I'm fine either way. Um, I'm not that opinionated, maybe I should be more. Uh, but we're trying to make sure that uh, it's it stays, it keeps its promise. And because it could very quickly die if if suddenly there is a branch, there is a version that that is that differs from the others, and then there is a separation, then it's 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 over. Then it's one more format, one more standard. I know, and thanks for your answer. I think it's complex because, like you know, if you create procedural objects, you you, you would want the proceduralism to be yours because you would support it natively. But then other people may have other ways or or. And at the kind of the other conversation we're having here often is at the other end of the spectrum, you have an open standard, which is not open source library, it's an open standard like GLTF, which seems to work to work very well and have done wonders in the commerce space. So how important is GLTF to Adobe? Oh, it's, it's super important. And we, we realize that it's, uh, it's spread out and it's uh, used by pretty much everybody. So to us, as, as an export format, yes, absolutely. We, we support it and we've always, uh, same thing, I've had like a strong relationship with Kronos and, and, uh, and Neil and, uh, and the, whole, the whole team there. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, an important, it's an important aspect to us. So when we say we want to support USD, it's not at the, at the cost of not supporting anything else. Definitely USD, we see that as, a, as, a, as, as an authoring uh, format. And USDZ or NGLTF definitely has output format for any, any type of applications. Yes, absolutely. We these are the two big ones actually. And FBX we keep we keep supporting FBX as well because it's there it's everywhere, right? <laughs> and so thirty years later, exactly. And so, right, but uh, yeah, and uh, but it's um, it's it's ours. And by the way, going back also to to one of the things I was saying about uh, Adobe, we, we I mean. It's not always uh, been true, but anyway, we, we like. Uh, I like standards. I like. Uh, I like to support 
many standards that help again the ecosystem again because i feel not only because i feel it's it's the way we feel uh, in the team very much very profoundly we like to support the ecosystem but also because if i, if I want to just wear, wear my uh, uh my uh, businessman hat right now the state of the industry imposes that we connect well with the rest of the industry because we're not in a stage where we can say well we take it all and we close it doesn't work that way and we, we would we would just fail so so to me it'd be it'd be It'd be an error, basically. So Seb, Substance was a pretty early adopter of GLTF. Uh, it was actually pretty eye-opening for us because you know we designed GLTF first to be really efficient runtime, and then we saw that Substance first added import for GLTF, and we said, ah, wait a minute, I guess there's so many GLTF in the wild that people don't just want to export, but they also want to import. Have you ever thought about it from that that angle? Yes, one of the objectives there was to support uh, platforms like um, uh, Sketchfab, right? So you had basically what we want uh, Sketchfab, the, the, the good friends, and so we, we what we always wanted to do. We've seen this number of uh, objects, and we thought, okay, it's actually great because like uh, one of the the hardest thing to do in three D is to actually model and create something. But one of the funniest thing to do is actually paint and 3D paint, especially with uh, Substance Painter. So we, one way for us to open up the ability for people to start using Substance Painter, having fun very quickly without having to go through the very tedious phase of creating something or finding something was to connect from within Substance Painter to a platform like Sketchfab and then import a GLTF and then paint over it, right? And so this is also why we we developed the auto UV uh, framework. So in case yeah, there was no UVs. So it was a way for us to, to bring more people into Substance Painter and, and have fun very quickly, right? And so that, that was that was one of the original thinking behind it. And then we realized, well, I mean, like it's a format, so it should be fly flowing as easy as possible yeah and one of the one of the the point that patrick and i you know would try to to, to to you know to propose is that you know gl as you said gltf's good transmission format uses good authoring format let's at least evolve them in parallel in a way that is compatible and synchronized so let's make sure that we actually talk and you know when we start adding you know variants and physics and logic let's make sure we do it in a way that you know it it remains it remains natural and we, it's easy to generate a GLTF from a USD and, and try to, to, you know, to build on top of that complementarity uh, as much as possible. So hopefully, hopefully we get to show some of that and we get to, to make some of those things happen. That's one of, a, one of our goals here. So. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's important. We should, we should, we should make sure that we use our position to somehow voice that loud enough so that it doesn't break and doesn't die yeah no I, look we we've talked to you know a number of people from a number of companies and i think we all think the same thing the interdependence as you said i mean the interdependent i mean nobody can be successful on their own and so we're gonna have to and i think that guys like chronos guys like the linux foundation you have a number of uh, you have a number of people who are pushing you know for that that commonality and we have places like SIGGRAPH where we're like neutral places when we all go so i think it's, you know, if I think it's just a matter of us taking our own fate in our own hands and and going for it. So, well, Sebastian, thank you. It's on, on this topic. I think it's uh, it's as you know, it's something dear and near to our heart here here on the podcast. So, Patrick, you want to go through some closing questions? For sure. So, Seb, we covered a lot of ground today, but was there anything we didn't talk about that you'd like to? 
Yeah, I think I think the metaverse actually is <laughs> it's crazy. It's like uh, this uh, this curve. Like uh, you, as a business owner, you're always trying to find like what is the the next big wave we need to catch. And so one thing I see I see in the metaverse is that I well we've all read the novels, we've all played MMOs, so we're not surprised by it, right? And so what I'm surprised by is the, the, the speed at which people got into, I mean, I mean, express interest and like the amount of money that is invested and the amount of uh, noise it's generating. So that means that it will crash at some point. But anyway, and then we come back. What I think is interesting is like people now realize that at some point, like the same way the internet came and say it's it's a fad and it will disappear and uh, and and then became back and now we we don't even think about it like uh, and I think the metaverse eventually will be something like this all these like expanded version of the the web potentially mostly three D I mean partly three D potentially interactive potentially immersive um, but that's 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 huge in fact and yeah I mean it's it's great that uh, we're at the beginning of that is potentially a second golden age that we're uh, at the beginning of right now. And so it's, I mean, we, we're lucky, Mark. No, I, I, I <laughs> feel the same. I mean, it's, and, you know, we try to remind ourselves it's the beginning because the past 30 years of, uh, and how much, you know, how much work it has been to get to where we are today from the both the visual effects industry and the game industry. And we haven't solved, I mean, as even on texturing, I mean, we haven't, <laughs> We can barely exchange materials. There's so many problems to solve. So when you see the frenzy from investors, and yes, we know it's big. We know it's going to be important, but you know it's going to take time too. And then we know that we we also have to pay homage to you know the 30 years of work from you know those industries because they are creating the enabling technology that we are there today. That's why we try to invite on the podcast people who actually have made a difference in computer graphics because they've laid the foundation of the metaverse and. And they will play a big role moving forward. But it's, yeah, it's the amount of work is humbling, but the potential is mind-boggling. Seb, to wrap things up, you know, we talked about how collaborative the industry is. Did you want to give a shout out to anyone or any organization? I, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited by the way Adobe is embracing the thing right now. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not saying that because I'm there, but like it's, um, it's, uh, it's interesting and, um, I don't know. I like I like what Nvidia is doing. Also, I have to say, I'm very impressed by what you guys are doing. <laughs> I have to say, um, there are many companies that I'm like, okay, wow, that's actually it's actually pretty impressive and pretty pretty alive, right? There is a lot of energy and a lot of passion. Uh, I can see. That's a great sign. Yeah. Yeah, and, and to, 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 to Mark's point, like, I guess it's a, a lot of like people driving this are uh, coming from the same background and, uh, and uh, if competing, of course, um, still love like playing the games and just watching the movies, right? <laughs> so we have the same pleasure doing that. Yeah, no, you're right. The community is, is special. And I think it's it's something uh, yeah, worth shooting out too. So, well, Sébastien, thank you so much. Uh, Dr. Degui, 
you said your mom likes it. We call you Dr. Dougie, so I'll call you Dr. Dougie to close. Um, it was a pleasure to have you. Uh, congrats on the acquisition. Congrats on everything you've been doing at Adobe because the speed at which you know you guys come out with things is, is amazing. So you probably have a thing or two to do with that. So congratulations on this as well. And uh, big thank you to you, Patrick, to be there with us today again and uh, holding, uh, helping me and helping us with all those uh, technology and questions and everything. And a big thank you to our audience. You know, we, we still, I mean, because we have people like Sebastian, you know, people people really like to hear from the folks from the industry. So we're lucky that we have very good guests and so we get very good feedback. So, but keep us telling us what you think the people you want to hear from. Uh, hit us on social, let us know feedbacks and do all those things you're supposed to do. Like, subscribe and whatever. So, Patrick and uh, Sebastian, it was a pleasure. Thank you and thank you everyone. Thanks everybody.